So it does appear that uh, somebody in Congress uh, woke up one morning and they realized that there was another country north of us and they maybe called somebody up up there and were like, how do you do things? And they found out, oh, that's different, but interesting. And then they wrote it into a bill and they submitted it to the, the, the U.S. Senate. And now we have this proposal. Welcome to the Wealth and Law Podcast. I am Brent Nelson, and per usual, I'm joined by Rachel Sass. Rachel, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm doing decent, as my six-year-old said to me the other day when I asked her how she was doing. She said, decent. And then she said, said, do you know what that means? And I said, yes. She says, what does it mean? (laughs) It means you're doing pretty well. And she says, yeah, it does. You're right. (laughs) Oh, I said, okay. Are there any other words you think that I don't know? She says, no. (laughs) Just that one. Just Just one to test me. (laughs) Oh, that's too cute. (laughs) Now, apparently, you you need to start using decent more around her to to show her that you you know what decent is. (laughs) I really got it. I got it down. I got the context. I understand what it means. I understand it has multiple meanings. (laughs) All of it. All of it. I got to demonstrate that I can use it in verb form, you know, Mm-hmm. The whole thing, Rachel. Right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Ad, adverb form, everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Get the so, whole grammar lesson going on that one. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing. If I don't do that, she'll never think that I really understand that word. <laughs> but it did make me curious what other words she might come up with that she might think she alone understands. <laughs> You got to start testing her like what once a week check in, you know, what what new words did you learn? Just, yeah. <laughs> or just hit, hit her with some words that I don't think she knows. There you go. And then quiz her. <laughs> Turn the tables on her. <laughs> That's funny. That's cute. <laughs> she was so happy about it, too. Like she really thought she had me. No, she was not joking. Not even a little bit. She was very, very serious. <laughs> one of these days she's obviously got a goal right she's gonna try and stump you one of these days yeah she's gonna get me I can feel <laughs> it I can feel it definitely creeping up on me <laughs> in my old age as my cognitive abilities decline she's gonna get me with one of these <laughs> difficult to understand words <laughs> well then you got to be careful because then the next step will be well how do you spell it Right. And then you got to start smelling mm. it. Yeah. Then you get into the whole spelling bee phase. Right. Mm. Yeah. That would be tough. See, I use a computer for a reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's spell check. I find it very useful. <laughs> actually, I find when I'm writing things out by hand on the rare occasions that I am actually writing something out by hand, like writing a note to somebody or something, I have, I really do have to stop and think about certain words, like how to spell it. Whereas when I'm typing, I just go mm-hmm. and it might every now, you know, every now and then there's some misspelled words in there and I just go back and fix it or it automatically corrects it as I'm typing. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I'm writing I, every now and then I run into a word, I'm like, wait a second, how do you say that? And it's like, <laughs> it's like rendezvous. Every time you find, go to find <laughs> rendezvous, <laughs> rendezvous, entrepreneur, mm-hmm. pretty much all of like the, the Francophone type words, you come up upon one of those and you're like, wait a second, 
how is this possibly spelled that way? Mm-hmm. <laughs> where, on, yeah. where on earth did we come up with all of these letters? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, do the double check. and Yeah, it's pretty bad when, yeah, I, I've done it before where I'm writing a note and have to look something up on my phone before I write it. Because one, I don't want to have to cross it out on my note and make my note then all messy. And yeah. I don't want to look really stupid in my note by misspelling all these words. Oh, I think, yeah, if you have to cross out the word, you might as well just throw that note away. Yeah, exactly. Start over. Start, yep. <laughs> Uh, the joys of of being so reliant on our technology these days. Yeah, that's how you know the computers control us. Yeah. <laughs> you got You have to think of simpler words to write notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I uh, I told I told my or I used the word irascible the other day, and Nicole was or my wife Nicole was like, well, what does that mean? I was like, well means that you know and I sort of described people that she knows who I think are irascible so she kind of got what it meant but then she's like well how do you spell that and I was like uh uh I starts with an I definitely an R could be two R's in fact I think there's an A Ible yeah (laughs) ends with an E L E so then she tried to type it into Google. Google kept coming back with like inescapable, inescapable, excuse me, or words, you know, like that, but not irascible. Google was having a really hard time with that. Apparently, it's not a well-searched word in Google. It does not filter to the top. <laughs> so that's a good one. That's that's a that's a high pointer right there on Scrabble if you use that word. It would be. <laughs> if I could spell it. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's the problem. I feel like I, I don't can't remember the last time I played Scrabble. It's probably like more like a words with friends or something app that I was playing with. But uh, I tried to play with my husband and he just started coming up with all these words and just would spell them whatever, however he wanted. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is how many points this were. I'm like, there's no way. And of course, I'm like, nah, I'm, I'm looking this up. I'm looking this up. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. We're not playing it by the however you want to spell the word game. It's uh uh-uh. In treaty does not have two X's and a Q, okay? Yeah, right. Never has. Never has. It never will. (laughs) Well, speaking of things that are confusing, (laughs) I thought we could talk about the, what we know, I should say, about the Biden tax plan slash what appears to be Bernie Sanders uh, tax plan because his his name is on all the bills that are in the Senate right now. So most people have probably heard some bits or pieces of these. Uh, I don't know that everybody will have necessarily drilled down into the various bills. I should say as an initial caveat that something being a proposal or being a bill is a long way from it being the law. So take that take that and basically all of this discussion with an enormous grain of salt, which is to say we have no idea what the actual law is going to say, and actual laws do not necessarily say what the original proposals or bills say. But there's probably a couple of things that we can feel pretty confident of. Number one, it does appear that the Democrats and the White House are intent on doing something, probably intent on doing something this year, i.e. 2021, for anybody not listening in 2021. And the Democrats and the White House are interested in doing 
two things simultaneously. Number one, spending money, whether you're in favor of that or not, that's just the reality of what they're going to do, spend money. And number two, raise money, raise revenue, try to find funds to spend or try to find funds to offset some of the money that they then want to spend. So that is where these tax proposals come in. They're on the raising money side of things, not necessarily on the spending money uh, side of things. This is to raise the money to then spend the money side of the proposal. So a couple of probably high level topics that we can kind of drill down into that relate to at least what we do for a living in our particular clients, which tend to be wealthy individuals, wealthy families, family businesses, those sorts of things uh, would be number one, the changes or proposed changes to the estate tax and the gift tax. There are some and they are different from what we have today. Then proposed changes to the capital gains tax structure then proposed changes to the income tax rates, at least as far as we understand what those changes might be, changes to what's called the step up in basis, which we can maybe explain just a little bit. And then maybe I thought after we talk about those things, we can talk a little bit about what we're telling people to do, if anything. So why don't, uh, why don't we lead in with those? Unless you want to add to the list. I guess I, I should have asked you that. No, that sounds good to me. I think those are the the high hitting ones that we keep hearing most frequently. And I think those are the ones that most of our clients are most concerned about. So yeah, sounds like a good I think list. that's fair. Yeah, that's a fair way to describe it. Quite a few folks are concerned about these potential changes. So, well, why don't you then give a little bit of a summary on the estate and gift tax changes? We can chat about that for a bit. Uh, there's some interesting ones for sure. Yeah, definitely. So one of the acts that's being proposed is the 99.5% act, meaning that uh, this is not going to affect 99.5% of people apparently. And so um, this is the act that is proposing to change the estate and gift tax rules. Currently, the estate tax and gift tax exemption amount is $11.7 million per individual. So a couple can uh, pass away and gift and give away about $23 million to whoever they want without having to pay a penny in estate tax. So huge numbers is the highest our exemption amount has ever been before. Um, it's indexed for inflation, so each year it keeps going up. That's kind of why we got 11.7 right now. Um, so big number. And obviously, with a couple having an estate of about $23 million, not that many people are affected and having to worry about the estate tax right now. And again, this is the federal estate tax. But the 99.5% Act is proposing to reduce that amount to $3.5 million for estate tax per individual, and that is not indexed for inflation. So now a couple can only give away about $7 million in their estate before they now have to be worried about the federal estate tax. The act is also proposing to reduce the gift tax amount to only $1 million per individual. So that is a huge shift. Um, it's also a bit confusing, I've noticed, talking to clients where now we have this combined 11.7 estate and gift tax exemption amount. So a little bit of both there. Now you've got a 3.5 million estate tax exemption amount they're proposing and only the $1 million gift tax exemption. So that makes it a little bit more confusing. I feel like just in the sense of explaining it, 
to individuals and families. But regardless, the, the main message, the take home message is that this is a huge reduction. And now a lot more people are going to be potentially can be affected and have an estate tax liability who, you know, today may not ever have been worried before. And now they have a reason to, to be concerned. Yeah, it's a big change from from the numbers today. Historically speaking, 3.5 and a million dollars in gift tax exemption are still high, although you have to go all the way back to 2009 to be back in a year when we had an estate tax exemption of three and a half million and a gift tax exemption of one million. The estate tax exemption and the gift tax gift tax exemption, excuse me, spent a few years where they were different uh, in the recent past and the 2000s, and then. Beginning in 2011, they became the same and they've been the same since then. So we've had kind of like a 10 year stretch where they were the identical number. Obviously, it's a lot easier to remember what the numbers are. It's a lot easier to keep track of what the numbers are um, when they're exactly the same. But they have basically jumped in value since 2009. We're really beginning in in about 2002 with some of the at the time were the the George W. Bush tax changes that originally increased the exemptions up to a million dollars and then they they sort of crept up slowly from there and then they went away in 2010 they sunsetted uh they were gone for one year we brought them back but historically speaking the three and a half million dollar state tax exemption is quite high so we have only had an exemption of more than three and a half million since 2010 when it was bumped up to five million uh and then most recently in 2018 when it was doubled at least the base number was doubled to 10 million. So that's not a long, actually a very long history, considering that the estate tax has been around for over 100 years, only 11 or 10 of those years have we had an exemption that was more than three and a half million. So if you if you minus out or you delete out the most recent 11 years of the over 100 years history of the estate tax, for close to 90 years, the exemption was never more than three and a half million. Three and a half million was actually the top, 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 top that it had been. So going back down to three and a half million, I think the reason that it's so jarring is because we're so high now. It's a relativity thing. Whereas I recall that when it was originally bumped up in 2010 to five million, people in our profession actually thought that no one was ever going to have to pay the estate tax again. They thought like our our practice area was gone and all the estate tax or estate planning lawyers were going to have to learn some new area of law and go do something else because nobody was going to need any sort of estate planning anymore because you wouldn't have any estate tax. That uh, has not proven to be the case, uh, but I remember that in 2010. So sort of thinking back on that history, uh, it just wasn't that long ago when three and a half million was actually a really, really high number for estate tax. That's really interesting. That's yeah, that's funny. Yeah. And to, to hear the job, it's, you know, especially for me, I think it's hearing about it. You know, I graduated law school in 2018. So for me, all I've ever pretty much known is a high estate tax exemption amount. So for me to hear 3.5, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm like, I'm, I'm scared. It's a lot of not really scared. It's a lot of work for us um, if it does go that low. But it's it's quite jarring because when you the some of our high net worth clients who hear that number that's probably their reaction as well as oh my gosh i have to kind of catch my breath and i think another thing that's 
a little bit concerning right now for some of the high net worth clients is this same act is proposing to increase the estate and gift tax rates. So currently right now, the federal estate tax rate is a gradual rate, but we can pretty much just say that it's about a 40% tax. And so 40%, pretty high number. No one likes to, to pay that big of a number. Now this new act is proposing a gradual rate depending on the size of the estate. And the rates go all the way up to, I believe, billions of dollars, um, which is, is quite funny, I think, when they start going to some of those uh, bigger, bigger brackets there. But it is going to be a gradual um, rate going on different brackets, brackets. And so people can see, I believe, rates up to around 50 percent, um, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, up to up to 65 percent for those billionaire estates. Uh, uh, so it starts at 45%, then there's a there's a 55% bracket and then it bumps up to 65%. Who knows? I mean, these brackets are subject to a lot of negotiation and uh, a lot of tweaking that happens on the back end of the legislative process by the the Congressional Budget Office, which is trying to score the legislation to figure out how much money it's it's going to bring in, how much money you're spending, and and whether you can fit within certain spending limits uh, with the bill that you're passing. The, t- the tax rate is a very interesting creature, in particular with the estate tax, because, again, even at a, say, 45% rate, although that is a, a lot, I mean, it's close to half of the value of the estate, so that's that's a substantial chunk of money. So on a million dollars, that's $450,000. It's a lot of money. Again, historically speaking, it is, that is not at the top of the top. 65% is not at the top of the top. The highest estate tax rate that we've ever had was during World War II, and the estate tax rate was 77%, and the exemption was $60,000, a grand total of $60,000. Fun fact, that's still the exemption for non-resident, non-citizens of the United States. They have received no love whatsoever from U.S. Congress since the 40s. But so historically speaking, the 45 percent tax rate, if somebody fell into that, uh, even though it is still a huge chunk of money, uh, is actually relatively low um, when you look at all of the rates that have existed in the history of uh, the estate tax, but that will not bring too much com- comfort to somebody who's writing that check to the IRS, because that is, that is not a fun check to write to the, the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, they're also proposing to kind of clamp down on a few estate tan- estate planning techniques. In pretty, we don't have to get into all the sort of details of these, but in particular, they're trying to clamp down on what are called valuation discounts on family entities or family controlled entities. And then they're trying to clamp down on the use of what are called grantor retained annuity trusts or GRATs. We've talked about those just a little bit. Actually, those two things combined with a a $1 million gift tax exemption would make planning a little bit harder. It might not make it impossible, but it might make it a bit harder. Um, And then they're trying to make some changes to so-called grantor trusts that could impose gift tax on some of those trusts when they make distributions. It could cause some of those trusts to be included in the estate of the grantor when the grantor dies. Um, Again, we don't have to necessarily get into the details of those, but people should just be aware that aside from changing these exemptions, they're also trying to propose to kind of clap down on certain types of planning techniques that could just make planning a little more difficult. So uh, do you have anything to add to that topic before moving on to capital gains? Nope, I think that sums it up. All right, capital gains. This one's gotten a lot of press. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I think most people will have heard that the capital gains proposal is to increase the capital gains rate to the top income tax rate, uh, which we're about to talk about, which is going, looks like it's going back up to 39.6%, which is what it was before the Trump tax changes in 2018. And that is on individuals whose adjusted gross income is more than a million dollars. So adjusted gross income, that's all of your income during the year, adjusted for things like deductions, okay? So charitable deductions, uh, if and when we can ever itemize again, uh, standard deductions, those sorts of things. Although they're, they're also proposing to limit some uh, miscellaneous itemized deductions with what are called the peace limitations that always, they seem to like rotate back into, uh, back into view whenever Congress is looking for loose change. Uh, but I think most people that have heard about the capital gains tax change have basically only heard capital gains tax are gonna be taxed at 39.6%, period. And that's not exactly accurate. At least in the proposals, that's not exactly accurate. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's the one that's making all the headlines and freaking out all the investors, right? It's, oh my gosh, I got to sell things. I got to sell things fast. There's no point in holding on to anything anymore. But pump the brakes just a bit. Um, let's talk about it first. Um, one thing uh, that they are proposing with the capital gains, and so this is a different act that they are proposing. This is the STEP Act. So two different acts here that are, are hoping they're proposing to make some changes. One thing with the capital gains is they are proposing that individuals will now be taxed on unrealized capital gains of assets that are transferred by gift or at death. So that's a big one. When you, so for example, to try to break that down a little bit, if you transfer um, stock to your kids, let's just say you want to give them 100 shares of Apple stock, um, normally you would just you make that transfer. And now though, when you make that transfer, you are going to have to realize any of the gains. So if you bought your Apple stock, let's just throw out some easy numbers here, but this is totally not realistic. If you buy your Apple stock for $100 a share, and now it's Yes, going please. To, I yes. know, right? You bought it a long time ago, if you got yes, I want that. share. <laughs> I want that, please. Sign me up. <laughs> so if you got it for $100 a share, and now again, for easy, easy numbers, you are uh, gifting it away at $200 a share, there's $100 right there in capital gains. So now when you gift it, you are going to be taxed on those unrealized gains. So that's a big thing right now that's shaking a, little, uh, a lot of people up. Also, this happens at death. Um, and so that's... Uh, scaring everyone in terms of when we talk about step up in basis, things like that. In just a moment, we'll get to all of that. That's really worrying people. Um, they're also thinking in this plan of proposing that there will be a tax on unrealized gains every 21 years that assets are held in trust. The reason I, the 21 years is just a weird number. It's because back in good old law school, we had a rule of perpetuities and 21 years popped up there. So I guess we're just going to keep the 21 years going here, but every 21 years in assets that are held, say like an irrevocable trust, you've got these dynasty trusts for families, you're automatically going to get hit with the capital gains on that. Um, so that's really big because again, if you gifted that $100 of Apple stock into an irrevocable trust 21 years later, now you're going to have to pay all the capital gains on that. So that's um, a pretty big income tax hit that some people might be feeling. Yeah, again, these are all proposals, whether mm -hmm. any of what, you know, what portion of this becomes law is uh, still up for much debate in Congress. A lot of those rules are very, very familiar to Canadians. 
Um, so back in the 70s, Canada actually got rid of its estate tax. It used to have an estate tax. For Americans, it's maybe difficult to understand that a lot of other countries do not have an estate tax. We're actually sort of in the minority. Uh, so Canada scrapped their estate tax in favor of what they call a deemed disposition tax, which means that you are deemed to have sold your capital asset when you transfer it by gift uh, or when you die. So very similar to the rule that you're describing, Rachel, where you would be treated as though you sold your asset. You would realize capital gains at that point. You'd pay your capital gains tax when you make a gift or when you die. And some people might be thinking, well, if you have to pay a state tax plus the capital gains tax when you die, isn't that double taxation? The answer is sort of, but not really, because you get to apparently deduct the capital gains tax, or you would get to get to deduct under these proposals, the capital gains tax that you pay at death against your estate taxes. Yay. So you don't have to pay, you don't have to pay tax on tax, allegedly. So, but those rules, even the 21 year rule for certain types of trusts is very, very similar to the Canadian rule. So it does appear that uh, somebody in Congress uh, woke up one morning and they realized that there was another country north of us and they maybe called somebody up up there and were like, how do you do things? And they found out, oh, that's different, but interesting. And then they wrote it into a bill and they submitted it to the, the, the U.S. Senate. And now we have this proposal. Um, but it's a it's an interesting system, the uh, the old capital gains at death system. I can tell you um, it does not necessarily prevent people from deferring or limiting their tax hit in Canada, although it's a little bit harder to do the way that you can do it right now in the U.S. Uh, for estate tax purposes. Um, but people still do do that type of planning in Canada. So to your point of, you know, the rate is one thing, but, you know, whether somebody would actually pay it is a totally different thing. That is where the rubber really hits the road, so to speak, uh, about whether any of these changes would have the the dramatic effect that they are purported to uh, be able to have. All right, so let, let uh, sorry, anything else to add on capital gains rates? Nope, I think you covered it there. We got it, yes. Got it. Easy, that was easy. All right, so income tax rates, we already kind of teased this one. So the income, the top income tax rate would go up to 39.6%. I don't know, and I actually haven't heard whether they would just revert the income tax rate charts back to the way that they were before the Trump tax cuts happened in 2018. That's really all they would need to do in order to bump up the top rate to 39.6%, uh, excuse me. But there is actually a little bit of shuffling inside the tax rates because they actually, in the, in the Trump changes, they got rid of one of the rates. They collapsed two of them into one rate. It, it created a little bit of a weird donut hole where if you made a certain amount of money, you actually paid more in tax than than other people similarly situated. So maybe they'll clean that up. Maybe we'll just go back to the way things quote unquote used to be. What they're not proposing to change, however, is the the so-called, or what I haven't heard anyways from these proposals. I could be wrong and somebody can correct me if I am, but is that they're not proposing to get rid of the Obamacare tax or the Obamacare surcharge, also known as the net investment income tax, which is a 3.8% surcharge i.e. additional tax that's added on top of net investment income like rents, dividends, uh, royalties, those sort of uh, capital gains, that kind of investment income uh, that exceeds a modified adjusted gross income number, which is roughly $250,000 per person. So 
uh, it could very well be that for somebody who's making or who has AGI of more than a million dollars, not only are they going to pay the top rate on their capital gains, but they're also going to get hit with the net investment income tax. So they have this additional 3.8% surcharge added on top of the 39.6% rate, which is already the rate that is being charged to people who have to pay the net investment income tax on items that are taxed as ordinary income currently, such as rental income and royalties. Whew. That was uh, that was a big mouthful. So <clears throat> that all of that is a very long way of saying they're they're planning on increasing the in individual income tax rates. I think that's going to happen. I think it will trickle into trusts and estates because trusts and estates, generally speaking, are taxed as individuals, although they have their own little tax uh, provisions about how you do the taxing. But the tax rates mirror to a degree the uh, tax rates of individuals. So I think the, the income tax rates, the capital gains tax rates will be the same for trusts, uh, so-called non-grantor trusts, I should clarify, and then uh, estates as they will be for individuals. So that would be my expectation. I haven't seen that specifically in any of the proposals, but everything is just a proposal at this point. And as I said at the outset, bills and proposals are one thing. They are a long way away from actual laws. Yeah, exactly. There's there's going to be a lot of negotiation still, a lot of going back and forth. Um, it's good to point out too that you know at some point during all of this, and we're talking about negotiation, and this is just ideas right now. This is just a, the plan that they they think they want, but again, nothing set in stone. They in order to get all this right, they are going to have to get all 50 Democratic senators to do this. That's a tough sell. Right. There, there's a lot of changes going on here. Um, like you said at the very beginning, they're trying to raise a lot of revenue. We saw, of course, the last two COVID relief bills, a lot of big spending there. Biden has his big infrastructure bill he wants coming up. So there's a lot of big spending coming up there. There's a lot they're trying to do to generate revenue. But some of these changes can affect a lot of people. And so it's it could be a hard sell for some of the moderate Democrats um, on whether or not they're going to go through with this. And so, again, this is just the plan right now, the big idea you start with, and then you actually start to get to the negotiation table and every side starts to concede a little bit till we finally get to the bill that's actually going to go forward. So keep that in mind. Yep, absolutely. There's a long way to go. And you're absolutely right. They're going to have to get every single Democratic uh, senator to go along with this to overcome the filibuster rules. They were trying to change those rules or proposing to change those rules, but they couldn't get the support from enough members of the Democratic Party to actually change the rules, or maybe they, they thought better about changing the rules. Considering that, you know, it might be handy to get rid of the filibuster uh, or to modify the filibuster rules while you are in charge, but when you're no longer in charge, it might not be so handy. And I think everybody had a real good long think about that. Not, And I'm not necessarily trying to defend the filibuster rules as a policy, just I think Everybody had a, a Democratic side appeared to have a, a long think about that, and they just couldn't get everybody on board, including our own Kristen Cinema. So um, we played a part. Look at us. <laughs> the uh, the next topic is step up in basis, and so I think in order to set this up, Rachel, we're going to at least need you to explain what it is, because I think people hear it, but they don't necessarily understand what it is. So yeah, exactly. The step up in basis is huge. And I, I love to explain it to people because I feel like once you explain it, they're like, oh my gosh, this thing exists. You you just, it just happens. You just do it. I don't have to do anything. Yeah, it's really that good. So step up in basis, let's use my fabulous $100 Apple share stock because let's all wish that it could actually happen. So 
uh, last year, let's just say I bought my Apple stock for $100 a share. And unfortunately, I kicked the can this year and I've passed away. And my Apple stock is going to go to my husband. And today my Apple stock, again, let's just use the same easy numbers, is worth $200. So if he were to sell my Apple stock the day after I passed away, um, because he needs money now to pay for, I don't know, fancy funeral for me or something, then he would have $100 in uh, capital gains that he would have to pay, right? My basis was $100. It's now worth $200 today. But with the step up in basis, upon your death, then you get a step up to what the value is today. So now, and we are in a community property state in Arizona, and community property states get that extra little bonus with the step up in basis rules, where all 100% of that piece of property, so my 50% and my husband's 50% interest in that property, gets the 100% step up to its new value as of the date of death. So now when he sells my Apple share for $200 the day after I died, he pays $0 in capital gains because its new basis is at $200, what it is, the fair market value as of the date of my death. And that's literally, and this, this happens for all properties. So if you've got a house, you know, you think about uh, you buy a house 20 years ago, it's way cheaper than what it is today, especially in today's real estate market. And uh, if you're going to sell it and you were trying to reduce your capital gains, if someone passes away and then you sell it again, let's just say the next day, you're reducing your capital gains. So that's huge for beneficiaries who receive these assets um, from someone, you know, loved one who had passed away, either in trust or directly, whatever it may be. So this is a really big income tax savings um, for everyone. And again, this is something that doesn't just affect a limited number of people. You literally don't have to do anything to get it. We always tell our clients get an appraisal when you know your loved one passes away, so you can lock in that value. You know the value of that piece of property, but then that's it. That's really it. So anyone could take advantage of it. And um, the scary thing um, that the act is proposing, the step act is proposing is to get rid of the step up in basis. So to me, honestly, that is one of the uh, most concerning aspects of these uh, proposals is the step up in basis goes away. That affects a lot of individuals, not just high net worth individuals. Yeah, certainly would. And the way that they would do it and couple that with the capital gains at death rule that you were describing is they would give you an exemption. So you'd get a million dollar exemption for an individual uh, or a, I think they I think what they're proposing is a two and a half million dollar exemption for a married couple from this capital gains transfer tax, so to speak. So you could shelter some capital gains and you could not have to pay the capital gains. You just wouldn't get a step up in, in, in basis at death so that the built in capital gains would basically be inherited by your family members. Then, at least under the current capital gains tax tables, how exactly they would be changing these, I don't know, if any, if at all. If you are married finally jointly and you make about $80,000 or less, you your, cap, your long-term capital gain rate is 0%. Maybe we should just clarify that what we're talking about is long-term capital gains. So you'll only start paying capital gains when you have income that exceeds your taxable income that exceeds uh, basically $80,000 for people who are married filing jointly. 
whether they're going to change that, whether they're going to bump up those bottom rates, perhaps remains to be seen, although Biden has been pretty insistent that nobody under $400,000 of adjusted gross income is going to have a tax increase. It's not clear what he means by that. It does, it's not clear whether he means individuals or he means married, filing jointly or means something else. 400000 is not a, not a number necessarily that's in the tax tables right now. So, I, you know, maybe that means that they're going to readjust the numbers that are in, in the tax rates currently, and then maybe that would have a spillover effect on the capital gains rates, et cetera. So there's a whole laundry list of things that we don't know and and what effect, if any, the change to the step up in basis rules would actually have in practice is difficult to tell. But to your point, it is the biggest, I'll say, ignored or misunderstood tax savings out there. It saves a lot of people a lot of taxes right now. Yeah, exactly. It's the moment you explain it to someone, they're like, whoa, that, that's really cool. And then potentially that going away, it's mm-hmm. it's concerning. It's also very challenging to administer because it means that unless you sell the asset, you have to remember what the historic basis of the asset was. So you have to remember what was it purchased for and if it's depreciable, what was all the depreciation mm-hmm. that was or maybe should have been taken on the property. So it becomes really challenging to maintain enough records that you might need to maintain for decades in order to substantiate what that historical basis is when you eventually sell the property. And the way that's done is you have to report the sale and the gains, and then you have to be able to substantiate how you calculated those gains based on the historic basis of the asset if the IRS asks the question. One other thing maybe we should just sort of layer on here. They're also proposing to give the IRS more money so they can ask the question. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe enforcement is going up as well. Okay. Well, that was a lot of proposals, none of which is the law right now. Um, Everybody should take that as a humongous, massive legal disclaimer. So all of this is just in concept at the moment, at the moment, but it's very serious concept. So things that we are telling our clients who are nervous about these kinds of things, and for many of them, they're rightly so nervous. Number one, they should be considering whether they ought to be making gifts now. Uh, the proposals to change the gift and estate tax rules are going to be effective as proposed in 2022. Whether that's the way it's going to work out, who knows? Whether they're going to make that retroactive to the beginning of 2021, who knows? Nobody has any assurance of any of that. But at least as proposed, uh, it would become effective in 2022. Meaning in 2021, you have $11.7 million of exemption that you could be using. So for well-to-do individuals and families, they might consider using up some of that, doing some gifting now. The other thing to consider is if you're going to make those kinds of gifts and there is risk that you could get hit with either gift tax or capital gains tax, if they make these proposed changes and they make them retroactive, that maybe when you make the gift, you don't just make it directly to someone or into a trust, but you do it in a way that is more formulaic that might take into account the possibility that the law could change. That becomes very tricky. I can tell you, Rachel and I are spending probably far more of our time than we, I I won't say than we wanted because this stuff is interesting to us, but then uh, we were intending 
talking about just that kind of an issue. Yeah, we're uh, we're spending a decent amount of time chatting about. (laughs) Nicely done. You got to tell your daughter I said decent. (laughs) I will absolutely. I will. But yeah, we are we're spending uh, a decent amount of time talking about this and just mulling it over and what's the best way to do it all. And like you said, it's it's not easy. It's it's no. tricky. It's complicated because we don't know what the playbook is going to be. We know the playbook today, but like you said, it could be they could change the tax laws and they can make it retroactive to January first, twenty twenty one, and then boom, we. There you go. There you go. Or they could make it uh, so that it's effective June 1st, 2021, or they can make it effective in the fall. They could make it effective next year. It's we're just going with what we have right now. And that's why we're having these conversations with our clients to let them know that this is what is being proposed. We don't know what's going to happen, but we could still at least start planning and do something before anything's being changed. Mm-hmm. The other thing that we're telling clients is if they're going to, say, do gifts, so they're doing gifts into trusts, that those trusts need to have the ability to be very flexible because they may need to change. We're we're kind of guessing about what the law is going to be, so we may need to change those trusts in the future. We need to have ways to do that. So we are building in ways to make the trust as flexible as we can so that if they change the law in an unexpected way, uh, or in a way that is disfavorable to that particular trust, we can we can alter the trust in the future. Alter, I mean, alter in a nice way, like in a in a useful way, not in a bad way. And then finally, we're encouraging clients who are charitably inclined to consider being more charitably inclined, uh, or building in just more strategic charitable planning into their estate plans, because nobody, as far as I have heard, is proposing to change the charitable giving rules. Yeah, that's. They, that's that's a good one, right? They don't they don't really want it to is, touch that. Let's let's keep yeah. those as 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 open and flexible as possible and, and easy for everyone. But yeah, and I think one thing too is talking to your planner now and not waiting later. I think that's mm-hmm. you know a lot of people they think well why why do I need to do anything now if we don't know what the law is going to be? Well, let's start having the conversation so we can start thinking through these things now. Because let's say they do change the law and let's say they actually make it effective as of January 1, 2022. So we've got time. Okay, everyone's going to be doing planning then and all of your attorneys and your planners are going to be very, very busy from now until the end of the year. And so it's good to get the conversations going now so you can start figuring out what your plan is and then how to execute it in time because come December 31st, no one's going to want to be doing some midnight signings. So let's not even get to that point. It's better to really just start the conversations today. Yes, please, please, please. And in addition to that, I think people also have to realize that everyone's circumstances are unique. And so it's not like a cookie cutter, one size fits all process. It, it's a very individualized process and it takes a lot of thought and it takes some time to really think through the nuances that apply to one person that maybe don't apply to a second person and to figure out like, okay, based on the nuances that exist for this person, how do you do the transaction? Uh, Even though some of the things that we've described sound like very broad general topics, that's all they are is kind of broad general topics, but like the actual details of how you do the transaction is gonna vary from one person to the next. And there's nothing that anybody can do about that. That's just life, people are different. 
people own different things, people own different things in different ways, people have different family circumstances. So everybody has something slightly different going on. Yep, exactly. You said it perfectly. Excellent. I did it decently, one might even say. Ah, you did it decently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it there per usual. Thank you very much. Yeah, of course. It's a pleasure. We'll we'll stay tuned on the Biden tax plan going yes, forward. Indeed we will. Hey listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Rachel and I both really appreciate it. We've really enjoyed doing the podcast. We're trying to do our best work and bring you valuable and useful information. And I hope you feel the same way. And if so, please subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, uh, subscribe to our blog if you want to follow us and see the sort of things that we write about. And also follow us on social media at Wealth and Law, basically everywhere that social media is. Thanks so much.